This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City. Happy New Year, boys. Glenn Crooks, John Rojas, Roberto Abramowitz. It's a, a new year. We have a new man in office. It's been a little chaotic here in D.C., but uh, it's good to be back with you all on the podcast and uh, we turn the turn forward now to 2021. Uh, some New York City stuff to get into on this episode. National team, uh, new coaches in place in Major League Soccer. So a little bit of everything. We're going to touch on the draft as well. Uh, but Glenn, let's start with, uh, I guess, the most New York City-centric news. It sort of centers around the national team. Of course, they're in camp right now. They just announced that they get set to take on Trinidad and Tobago at the end of the month, January 31st. Sean Johnson picked up what appears to be a minor knee injury, so he will no longer be available for that match for the United States. Yeah, that word uh, it came out. Uh, and hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. <clears throat> I, I think Roberto, the least brave uh, of us, you know, on this inauguration day when, you know, there was the threat of uh, some violence around the country, but he, he got out of the country. He's in Alcapulco. So it's, uh, it, it's nice to, to see the Roberto. Uh, Absolutely. The uh, safest place in the damn world. Have you ever seen crime statistics outside of uh, New Jersey? Have you seen <laughs> where the hell I've gone? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I'll study up. I'll study All up. Right. But, uh, so, yeah, Sean Johnson uh, tried to see if the club had any further information. That just came out this morning. We're recording on Wednesday, Inauguration Day. Happy Inauguration Day also to everyone. And um, they're calling it a minor knee injury. Uh, the fact that there's a match on the 31st against TNT, uh, U.S. Soccer just uh, figured that he, he wouldn't be ready for the match, whether he couldn't train or he wouldn't be ready on that day, whatever it might be. So... Uh, so he was sent home. So I'm sure Dr. Chris Ahmad will uh, check him out when he gets back. He's the orthopedic for uh, New York City FC. And then uh, maybe we'll find out a little bit more information about Sean. But, you know, the first thing you think of, I mean, that's, you know, he's a, <laughs> he's a pretty critical piece to 2021 for them as they try to, uh, to figure it out and take another step. And so far, they've got the uh, pretty much the exact same roster except for Andres uh, Jason, who's a attacking player, a uh, homegrown that they signed. So um, somewhere along the line, someone said to me, this is within the last week or so, that, uh, you know, they're, they've got, there's a list and there'll be other players. So we'll see what happens. That, that's, they, that's as specific as I can get because that's all I know. <laughs> Hasn't New York City historically always been one of the last teams to announce players and they always seem to sign them just as training camp 
starts up. But, I mean, look, they've got a lot of money because of all the players that they've let go. They've let go of Ronald Monterita, who's now in FC Cincinnati. They let go of uh, of uh, Gary Mackay-Steven, who's somewhere in the second division in Scotland. So, um, you know, they've got they've got a lot of money uh, to, that they're, that they're going to be able to spend if they – care to spend it there's been some talk of uh other players uh coming in from uh from south america but uh, nothing has been announced yet so uh we'll have to see and we'll see if there's any sort of marquee signing big name somebody who uh, uh who's not only going to help the team on the field but uh, possibly may help them in the box office once where you know Tickets are allowed to be sold and players are allowed, players, uh, people, fans are allowed to be back in the stands. So uh, we'll see where it stands. But even as a team is now, it's still an extremely, extremely solid team that, uh, you know, when when people start making their predictions of who's going to make the playoffs and who has a chance to make a run at an MLS Cup, New York City still has to be up there because they've got still a very, very solid team. Yeah. Well, they don't know when they're reporting. Uh, we did hear Gio Savarese say the Portland's uh, starting on January 25th. Now, he said that to me a couple of weeks ago in one of these uh, United Soccer Coaches interviews. But uh, I, he also I, said I, he also gave a date. I don't remember what the date was, but he gave a date of when they were starting. And it was like much earlier in March than what Don Garber had uh, been suggesting. If there is a season, because then we have the CBA problem. First weekend. He said the first weekend of March. And, and that's yeah, why he said uh, January 24th, 25th will be uh, the first day of preseason camp. And uh, we all know that that is just still in the air. Uh, the negotiations with the, with the uh, Players Association are still there. So it's, it's not something that is set on stone right now, those dates. Um, but with the Sean Johnson case, I mean, a minor... Knee injury is three weeks, basically. Well, it so, could be two to, two to four. Exactly. Like, well, three. like uh, if you have a, like a little meniscus thing, or exactly. You know, but they call it a strain, so it sounds like it's a ligament. So it depend. Is it the outside? Is it the outlet? Is it you know the ex- uh, anterior? Is it the posterior? I mean, which? Well, at the end, yeah. Right? At the end of the day, it, it makes sense, right? That he's out of camp and he's with the team receiving treatment. Uh, of course, first a full evaluation, and if it is three weeks, that was what I was saying between two and four is three. So uh, it's, it's it's just like right on, you know. Time. Hold on, John. I'm doing. I'm gonna yeah. check your math. Two, exactly. Three, four, you, yep. the man of the millions. Go ahead, make the yes. math. So well, it wouldn't affect in game one per se. No, I mean it's just real no, time to get on camp. You know, yeah. to get. Mm-hmm. The first week, he may miss the first week of camp. Not because he's not there, but because he's probably doing uh, a solo job, you know, his rehabilitation program. So, Have you guys and heard then, anything? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, John. No, no, no. I was about to say that it's not the only case with the national team of, of players that have been, you know, dropped for so many different reasons. Jordan Morris received permission from Berhalter to leave camp, and that probably has to be with a uh, a transfer day, a transfer day that is maybe on the works. Uh, Brian Reynolds left the camp too, and probably for the same reason. Uh, he said, or, or the statement said, is uh, personal reasons. But you know, rumor is that he's uh, someone that is being looked out from Europe 
And then we got the case of Julian Araujo, who left the camp like two weeks ago, and now is back in camp, <laughs> replacing Brian Reynolds. So it's it's part of the you know part of the movement, part of the idea of watching players, and if they have some certain situations, personal situation, then they manage that. You mentioned the ongoing situation between the players and uh, the owners. Right now, guys, as we sit here on January 20th, how confident are you that we will have a regular season starting sometime in March? Well, I, yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll come to an agreement or, or they'll negotiate while they're playing. I, 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 just, I, I just couldn't fathom uh, the season not starting whenever the date is made. I, I don't know what you guys thought. When I saw that the uh, U23 qualifying dates were March 18th through the 30th, my first inclination was, well, why force the start of the season in mid-March when, you know, you're, you're, you're bound to lose some players. There are obviously some club, you know, there's debate about that, but start, start the season April 1st then. There's a problem with that because you have the Gold Cup in the middle of the summer and then you've got World Cup qualifying later on during the year. So and then Copa America. In the hard place. Yeah, you have a, a full calendar this year because many of the events that were supposed to happen on 2020 are happening this year. Yeah, so but it's you're going to run into it much. anyway. I mean, you're yeah, but they're going to try not to run into the entire Gold Cup and they're going to try to get out before World Cup's qualifying starts and it starts affecting rosters in the middle of the playoffs, depending you know on when uh, when they're able to finish the season. So Add to that the Copa America. Add to that the Copa America. And we got a lot of players who would go on Copa America. Right. Yeah, yeah. there's Sur American players that are working right now on their own. They're not, sure. of course, one, you no, know, one side of the, of the plan or the head is thinking on getting to preseason camps in, on shape, in shape. But the other side of the head is thinking ahead on Copa America. They want to be on Copa America. Yeah. Well, the season's going to have to be extended. Like, it, I mean, you, you have to play into December. I know that's another window that you're you're operating with there, but you have to play into mid-December. You just have to. And why not start a little later? For for all the barking about not being able to get fans in the seats, and that's a that's a driver of income. Why not start the season later and give yourself at least the opportunity? Maybe maybe you get two more games that you can put spectators in, and. Apparently that's a lot of that'll be a lot of money and it'll make a big difference for the clubs. So and now, if you start early to mid March and they don't even know these, I mean, I know I know New York City FC has no idea when preseason is starting. I, I'm pretty sure because I'm hearing that they're not going to say it the way they say it if that's not the way it is. And that that's about three or four days ago, so I can't say that's today. Uh, so can it's when you don't again. You haven't even, they haven't, they, they don't know where they're staying or, you know, how do you, how do you, pl- gonna you can't plan. You can't like plan if you don't else. know when. What? Well, they're they're going to on their feet. And also right. remember that hotels aren't exactly full all over the country. So wherever they go, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to find space because uh, well, it's easy to find hotels at this point. Not a whole lot of people are traveling. So, um, you know, some are, but not. It's nowhere near regular. So, some hotel that has, you know, some place with a soccer field, and they may go to Orlando or or Miami or somewhere in Florida, would be thrilled to to get them. At the same time, you know, they've got to be very, very careful because of COVID. 
And as well, one of the problems that they're going to have throughout the season, and this is MLS as you're talking about the calendar, is that they're going to have to build in towards the end of the season the possibility that there may be teams missing games. And they would prefer to have teams play all their games as opposed to doing points per game as they did last season. So they're going to have to build that in. And that's why they're trying to get a start as early as they can. And I'm, look, I'm surprised that New York City doesn't know when, they, when their preseason is starting because of the, the fact of the matter is, if Portland has that already planned out and they know when they're playing, how does New York City not know this? Well, I mean, they may not have the exact date or, or the exact plan of where they're going, but they, they should have a damn idea that they're starting somewhere within the week of January 20-something. It's not like, you know, we don't know if they're starting in January or February or anything like that. They may not have the exact date, but they should have a bloody idea. And I'm sure they're working like crazy to try to find accommodations right now and a place to be able to practice. Plus, the big issue, guys, with, you know, the, the Players Association is not even the starting date of the season. It's just the CBA in general. I mean, the fact that the league wanted to change the terms of the CBA is... That is the actual issue here. It's not the date of the season. I mean, they can start playing well, because they don't. They don't complain about the the you know the vacation time or the rest time. You know, it's, it's about how the league wants to extend that agreement to uh, two more years, right? That's part. Yeah, but if you listen to Bob Foose, they're they're uh, and he's representing them. This mm -hmm. is not from a player specifically, but he said that. Um, you know, the, that the Players Association is dead against starting in early to mid-March, that they do need more time, that it was a difficult season, that they, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, didn't see their family for, you know, eight or nine months. And true, and it's true, exactly, because of that. Because 2020 right. was so hectic, you know, the Canadian team had to leave yeah. sometime in Orlando and then sometime in Connecticut or, or Poland, whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah, it was hectic, but... If you see the players and tell them we're going to start on March 1st, but the CBA is the way it is, we're not negotiating CBA, they will do it, right? But on top of that, you know, set of mind of not having total rest and, and having missing time with their families, they had to deal with the now the terms of the CBA are moving another year. So how are we going to deal with this? I mean, they, yes, they're not going to have cuts. That's the proposal, at least, on, on their salaries. But anything that we were expecting for this year, move already right. for next. But now they want to move it for the following year. So it's just right. how we plan out, you know, as a family, those, those kind of things. Right. They're postponing all, all the salary increases that have been negotiated. So by, put, by saying, hey, we're not going to cut your salary now, but the let's say 10% increase that you're expecting next year. Now you're going to get that in 2023 and the 15% increase that you wanted in 223. Well, that's now pushed to 224. Plus the TV so money that for the first time, salary cut. Get it. right? The TV money right. that the first time they negotiated on the CBA is not there now. Yeah. They're pushing it back. To and the then the other thing you, you mentioned TV money and it's a really good point, John, because in, after the 20, is it the 2021 season or the 2022 season? They have to negotiate a new television contract and they're expecting a major increase in revenue from there. I mean, they're expecting it. We'll see what happens because with everything going on, things have obviously changed. 
but uh, they're expecting a bump. And so the players have to figure out a way to negotiate in saying, hey, if you get an increase from $90 million a year that you're receiving now, and all of a sudden you get half a billion dollars starting going forward, then, hey, we need a piece of that pie as well. It can't yeah, be the- that you're just grabbing all of that and we're not. Right, but the big problem, Rob, is that they already accepted to renegotiate those terms six months ago. So it's right. not stability there when you, you know, you think about any kind of job. I mean, you negotiate your conditions, you went into the year, halfway through the year, they ask you to renegotiate, you renegotiate, and now they're doing it again. Right. And, and remember that the league has a unilateral power of being able to say, hey, CBA is done. We're starting from scratch. There's absolutely nothing. We have no deal, no agreement, no nothing. We're starting from zero. And that's the right. deadline that they're running up against. And, you know, they're both playing their version of chicken because the, M- the MLSPA has not answered the proposal that Don Garber said, that, Gar- that Don Garber sent them. And at the same time, Don Garber is saying, when the drop date, when the drop dead date comes, we're not moving it. So if we don't have an agreement by then, we're eliminating the contract. But again, you know, those things can change. It's, as I said, it's a game of chicken that they're playing. Yeah. And Glenn, Glenn, um, because I think I'm, 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 you know, uh, calling you, I'm pointing at you because I think you know this, you heard this. Players Association said that there is no such a thing like a deadline for them to respond. Right. So, well, the, what he, what uh, Fu said, he said, Don Garber is not a lawyer. I don't know where he's getting his information. <laughs> I, I, that it, paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he, he, right. he said. He said he. Yeah, he, basically, you're not lying, but you don't have the correct information. <laughs> yeah. So if there is no deadline then uh you know because then there's this are our, our, you know the lockout possibility and all these exactly. other things being discussed so uh, look i think the i think the players have a legitimate beef i'm sure the owners are losing money and you know the, the i thought the one the most interesting part of what foos said was that the the clubs uh and this is in regard to uh their current player salaries that the clubs have the uh, have the option to increase the current player salaries and not, you know, they got all this um, uh, income uh, with the GAM and the TAM uh, discernible. What, what's the, I'm, I'm searching for the word. It's not coming to me, but discretionary. And mm-hmm. so some of that discretionary could, could go to current players and they could satisfy them a bit. You might not bring in the, uh, the same quality. So that's the other fear. Do you lose quality when you, when you start managing your money that way? You know, it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, and, and we're talking yeah, about... Yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't help the argument. That just doesn't help the argument because they're basically saying, hey, it's not our problem. What we're doing with the CBA, it's your owner being cheap. And I mean, that doesn't, uh, that, that doesn't help anything. No, I mean, like Glenn no, said, I think, I think they have a good argument. The players have a good argument, but at the same time, and you know, it's, you need both parts. I mean, they need each other. And that's, that's the basic truth. I mean, yes, probably in this day and time, uh, owners are losing or not gaining so much money out of their business, which is normal in this time. And, uh, and, but, but the players need a stability too. And they, they actually, you know, the, the, the center of this show 
are they? And for, for years, for decades now, MLS player, especially the local player, is not receiving, you know, the, the, the part of, of the pie that they actually deserve. And, and now that the league is, is growing and is calling attention, it's time for them to, to receive that, that kind of attention and that kind of money too. I mean, we're talking about years in which, for example, uh, uh, the last, in the last FIFA report, the four teams that spend most money in CONCACAF came from MLS, Vancouver, Portland, Galaxy, and Chicago, on top of Guadalajara, Tijuana, America, Tigres, right? And after those Mexican teams came uh, Kansas City and Atlanta United. So MLS team are spending, and they're spending a lot. Can you go back to those four names again, please? Yeah, Vancouver, Portland, Galaxy, and Chicago. That is amazing that Vancouver is up there considering the type of season that they had. No, right? because they turned over the, the roster twice. Yeah. 18 and 19. Uh, so. they're, they're spending money. They're just obviously not spending it very well. well exactly. Speaking yeah. of spending money and thinking about the upcoming season, whenever it does start, obviously we don't know specific dates yet, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But one thing we can talk about guys is some of the new coaches and new faces around major league soccer that will have some of these decisions in terms of player personnel and things of that nature. And um, let's go through it. And let's start with the most recent hiring DC United Hernan Lasada coach at beer shot, a young guy, just 38 years old. He is now the new coach of DC United, Phil Neville at inter Miami, Greg Vanny, LA Galaxy, and Chris Armis, TFC. Uh, it seemed like Glenn Armis, a uh, bit of a surprise at TFC. Of course, Patrick Vieira had been linked to that job. Vanny seemed like the obvious choice for the Galaxy once he became available and uh, to, to continue coaching. Um, but let's start with DC United. Uh, Hernan Lasada, 38-year-old, now the new coach of DC United, the most recent hire in MLS. Hernan Pablo Lozada. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> That's the middle name. <laughs> hey, another. Let's get bring another Argentinian into the league. That's what I say. So that's a, never a problem there. That's always a good thing. Yeah, well, it's very it's, rare that you get a, that you get something bad out of there when it comes to coaching. Hey, did this He's an Argentinian. Listen, he's an Argentinian that played only two years in in his local league in Argentina First Division. He played for Independiente. Yeah. So you think he's more of a Belgian, uh, you think, then? He's more of a... Yeah, he's European in that sense because he, yeah. he, he after that, he went to Chile. He played probably five, six games in Chile. Six games, yeah. And then he went to Belgium. So his whole career since probably 2006, seven has been there. Well, he uh, <laughs> Pablo Maurer did a Q&A with him for The Athletic. And he, uh, one of his, uh, one of his quotes about, you know, his philosophies, I'd rather win five, four than one nil. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. We have heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> we have heard that before. So we'll and see. I guess uh, he wants and, to get forward. That's great. And that's great. Of course, we'll get criticism from, uh, from south of the border, from where I am because of that, because they keep on saying that, uh, uh, MLS teams are only looking for spectacle and not really for wins, but uh, what do they know as far as yeah. that's concerned? But I, I, I enjoy that. I mean, I, I want to see that. I want to see exciting games. I want to see guys play and go for goals and uh, and be exciting and be positive as opposed to just sitting back and waiting to defend and hopefully to win one nothing and uh, and defend that to death. Who the hell wants to see that? 
you know, it's entertainment. People forget it's entertainment. Yes, you want to win and everything else, but there's different ways of winning. You don't always have to be boring or uh, ultra defensive to be able to win. So, hey, bring coaches who want to go forward. I'm all for it. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. I, I think happens, and I think it happened to Ronnie Dyla, is that you come at, you know, and he calls it a foundation. And you really, you know, no matter what, when you come into a new program, you, you do have to – you have to be secure at the, but you have to be secure in your defending just so that you have that the players have an idea of how you want to organize that and things, you know, I mean, if you just dive into the attacking and, you know, and hope for the best on counters and recovery and things like that, uh, it, it's not going to work. And then I think you just saw Ronnie Diley, you know, he once he, he was happiest when they got this foundation finally where they weren't giving up many chances and they were getting clean sheets so he seemed more excited about that than scoring four goals in a match. And yeah, but I don't think they're talking about – when they say, I prefer to win 5-4, they're not really saying, I really don't care about defense. I, that's not the point. I think the point that they're trying to make is that they want to be able to play going forward and be attacking and be positive. That doesn't mean you don't want to defend. If you look across the back line of New York City, the, the, the first six players from the front to the – you know, from, from the back – to defensive midfield, all national team players for their countries. So it's not like, you know, you're, 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 you don't care about what happens in the back. Obviously, you care. You don't want to really concede, but you want what they're saying is that their philosophy is an attacking, open philosophy going forward. And that's what they're trying to say. They're, they're not really saying, hey, I really don't care if they score against me and, and that's that. But, I mean, as I said, look at who look at who the defenders are. Sean Johnson's a national team player. Anton Tunaholm was called in, but he didn't go to the national team of Sweden. Luxembourg is a national team player, uh, is a Chanel's team. Peru for Collins. Margarita was Costa Rica. I mean, well, I thought you were going to... Did, did, did Iceland no, call him? Not going to I'm not going did, to Goody. Did, did Iceland call him back in? No, I, I, I don't think so. Maybe for the uh, sinking competition, but I'm not sure. Or they need some ice. <laughs> Don, what was your point going to be? No, nothing on that. <laughs> I'm not going to talk on that name anymore. <laughs> no, no, before that. No, no, your point on uh, what you were saying. Yeah, no, because we, no, we jump out of Losada, and I think he's an interesting guy. I mean, Here's a guy who uh, went to school to study business. He speaks four languages. He has Italian passport. He played tennis, you know. So, and and he and of course he had a career in, in in football. I mean, he played professional football and now is coaching. So, it, it's someone that can give you a lot in terms of uh, background and in terms of uh, understanding. You know different cultures and 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 this is someone I, you know, from far is rounded, is well rounded. I mean, you know, when you can't speak different languages, when you go to school to study business, when you play your the, the game that is your passion, when you coach that game afterwards, you, you get a lot to get uh, from when you need tools. Listen, I've seen the first day of practice with Glenn Crooks. I've seen some video of that. And the first thing he says to his team is, we will create more than we concede. So he, he adopted that VR philosophy really early and applies it to all his teams. You have the ball. You're going to create more than you concede generally. And if you don't, then uh, something's wrong. But, uh, yes, thank you, Tom. Thanks. For How about uh, Phil Neville in Miami? What do you all think of that? Ooh, I need a friend. Yeah, D David Beckham. That's it. Everybody needs yeah. a friend. 
You think Phil Neville would be the coach of Inter Miami without David Beckham uh, bringing him in? No chance. How about that for a change of philosophy? Where did we see that before? Say what? How, where did we see that before? A total change in philosophy from one year to the next. I, going, I, it's Atlanta with Tata Martino going to Frank DeBoer. Okay. Um, so the interesting thing there is that it doesn't look like they scouted, you know, they, they wanted to talk to anybody else or interested. Hold on, hold on, Roberto. It was just a matter of Phil Neville's going to be our coach. We've already decided this and that's that. Because there's another big connection there. The sporting director that was with Tata in Atlanta came to Miami and now left Miami when Neville comes in. So you're talking yeah. about, you know, change of direction and, and those guys are all connected. You know, but when you look at the teams, though, I mean, maybe they made a mistake in coaching. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not down in Miami. Maybe Franco Penizo, one, one of these days, will have him on, and, he can just, and maybe he can talk more about that, about what he saw. But, I mean, this wasn't – I mean, when you look at that team, it wasn't a complete team. They didn't get Iguain until two-thirds of the season in. And, I mean, we know the importance of having designated players and good designated players, and especially – if you have a designated player who's your center forward, who's your number nine, and that was their biggest problem all year long, is that they didn't have a number nine. And finally he gets there, and you know, it takes a little time, but it, it almost seems that they didn't let it grow enough from the when you look at it from the outside. But there also seems to be some sort of a problem, you know, on the inside where they weren't really happy with the coaching and maybe the players, how they responded to the coaching, aside from their individual abilities to be able to, to put forth the game and put forth their abilities on the field, there seemed to be some, you know, major issues there that somehow did, didn't work out. But, I mean, you know, I'm sort of like in the mindset that you give guys a chance to be able to get things done. Like, I wasn't totally in favor of Jason Christ being canned after one year. But obviously then it came out, there was a lot more problems than what we had seen. So it, it was, at, at that point it became understandable. And so what I'm thinking is that there's probably a lot more to what happened with Diego Alonso in, in Miami that, that, that what came out and that's what precipitated all of this. But I'm also sort of, I'm not surprised, but maybe a little bit disappointed that they just had one guy in mind and didn't want to talk to anybody else about this and they got him and that was that well it's you know as i always say with regarding football and fans used to forget about that and it's a private business and you can manage your business the way you want it and uh Absolutely. you know if, if 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 they want to go that way i mean yes david bacon has not only a big history as a player but a lot of connections and if that's the way they want to go, results are the only ones that are going to speak. I mean, I guess at some point people are going to stop going to the stadium or supporting the team because they don't feel, you know, represented. And and well, the big, that's, that's the, the big, only that's the only way that they're going to test that 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 idea of them. The big hiring there though is Chris Henderson. Yeah, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's who. And they say that they really connect. nailed that one. That he's really good at what he does. Well. So he, you know, he oh, did he is. Seattle. I mean, you see what he did. Of in Seattle, course. You know. Yep. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the that's the critical. That's a very good hire. Yeah, but but that's a disconnection too. I mean, because you have a guy that is so good on what he does and proven in the league, 
but I mean, he barely came in, you know, with the coach because we everybody knew, yeah, you know, probably a month after after the season ended that probably Beckham will go and get Neville. So it's well, like yes, he, you have a really good guy that knows how to do his job, but you already putting him. You know, on, on a predicament there with, right. with the coach. Except, except, well, well aware. Over here, let me, let, let, me, let me ask you a question because you follow the women's game a lot closer than most of us do. So, did, didn't Neville have his issues with the women's national team in England as well? I mean, it wasn't like that he was universally loved over there. Not universally loved, but, you know, they, uh, they got deep into the World Cup and he, it, was, it was regarded as a good World Cup experience. They gave the U.S. a great game. Uh, could have easily won the game had it not been, uh, you know, for a couple of instances in that match. So, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, he had issues with the, you know, some of the um, with treatment, right? With personal treatment. Yeah, he, not every player, uh, you know, was fond of him. I guess that's the best best way to put it. But not uh, as we have found out, uh, Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd. Uh, and others were not very fond of Jill Ellis. In fact, mm -hmm. they've made some pretty harsh comments since, and not just those two, but more. Uh, and well, Carly uh, Lloyd, especially, she was furious that she didn't. Uh, yeah, but Rapino a chance to play. Look, go Google Rapino in her new book in Jill Ellis, and you see what she said. Oof. Okay, oh, I didn't get a chance to read it yet. No, it's not even close to anything Carly's put out there. So it's it's really uh, it's it's pretty um, pretty interesting her criticism of Ellis. But the point, of course, there is that they won back-to-back -back World Cups. Exactly. And I really but, like Ellis, if I remember, if I remember correctly, in the World Cup in Canada, there, there was a lot of issues with Ellis going going into the, the the group stage and how the team was going to do because of the way that she wanted to play and her philosophies and the way that she got along with the team. So this isn't exactly something new. And then something obviously clicked once the team got into the knockout stages, and then they were able to make this fantastic run to win to win the World Cup in Canada. But there's a lot of issues about Ellis and about, there was a lot of questions about her when that was happening right in the middle of the World Cup. Well, to be specific, and I, I won't, I could go on for an hour on this one because I was one of the ones at the uh, forefront of the criticism, but the, you know, my voice was a little less than certain others. Like Tony DeChico, the late Tony DeChico on network broadcast was critical of her. They played a 4-4-2 uh, in that tournament uh, with Carl playing a, a twin six, Carly Lloyd, uh, one of the best attacking midfielders in the world uh, and one of the leading goal scorers in U.S. women's history. And it's not just because it's my former player, because Lauren Chaney was in there. They played a 4-4-2, and they were twin sixes, and neither one of them was getting anywhere near the goal. Alex Morgan wasn't happy because she, she wanted one or both of them closer to the goal. And what happened is that Megan Rapino, let me think if I – Rapino and Cheney uh, actually um, uh, both were uh, suspended on uh, yellow card accumulation. So Morgan Bryan had to come in and Jill Ellis was essentially forced to change the shape of the team. She put Morgan Bryan as a holding mid, put Carly in front of her. Carly scores the game winner against China in the box on a header. It's the first time she'd been in the penalty box the whole game. And the rest is uh, history. And, and there's a documentary already on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What do you guys think? Well, let's move up to, to okay. TFC with Chris Armis. <laughs> well, talk about 
it Beckham Neville and Ollie Curtis, Chris Armis. Are you kidding me? That's it. It's, it's natural, right? It's a revolving door. It's a, uh, you know, I, it's a, cra- it's not a crazy hire. It's just, I don't know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Yeah, but Bill Manning. Yeah. Then somebody put out a story saying Bill Manning's calling all the shots. There's no way he's letting Chris Armis in in the building if uh, if he doesn't believe in him too. But uh, you know, that's got to be an Ollie Curtis driven thing, man. Yeah, totally. And and the the problem with with that is after the success that Toronto had, right? I mean, it's 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 hard to believe that the turnaround that that roster needs. I mean, they they're gonna keep right now some of those players, of course, but but everybody knows that Toronto needs to turn around that roster, no? And and the success that they have with Greg Bunny and bringing the new coach i don't think is if armas is you know the right person for that i don't i don't see it i don't see how the philosophies are are so different aren't they i mean it's not i mean coach you 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 tell us the difference between the, the way toronto played and the way the red bulls played it's well, not the same possible. thing there's a possibility that armas is is uh, adhering to red bull while he's with red bulls he might he might very well, uh, you know his his philosophy might be very well be more you know to play the game a little bit more fluidly than than the Red Bull system. So he might have been, you know he might he might there might have been clashing there. I don't know. I just I I just I and I like Chris Armas a lot. I like him a lot. Uh, you know you mentioned the women's game. He came out of the women's game when he got the job with Jesse Marsh. He was the women's coach at. Uh, at Hofstra, not Hofstra, uh, at uh, at Delphi on Long Island, you know, when uh, when he got hired by Jesse Marsh to come in for the Red Bulls. So, you know, to me, it's like, wow, this is a cool story, but I I don't think it's going to work out. Yeah, I don't think so. But I hope it I mean, there's there's no way to compare. Like, if Rebels play this way, how he will play the way Toronto plays. I don't think that's a a good comparison because you got to take into consideration rosters and philosophies and, and plus... When you're in Red Bull, you get a system that comes from, you know, within. I mean, every single team plays the same kind of game. Right. And I don't know. I don't know so much if there were clashes because the way he, I mean, he managed momentum. I mean, you you saw in mom, for moments a Red Bull team that had a lot more talent that that way show on the field, and you saw those talented players on the bench. And those players came in and made the difference in many games. And you always ask at the end of the game, why is this player playing 20 minutes? You know, if if every time he's on the field, he's making your game better. But I I think those those are coaching decisions. What was our friend? I was trying to follow Juan Mesa, who is like, I don't know anybody who is more of a Red Bull fanatic than than Juan Mesa, who you guys... uh, No, I don't think so. I mean, he has started... Not wasn't he? Wasn't he real? Wasn't he posting like real sarcastic things about Armas going to try? Did I? I, I know yeah. someone was in Spanish, well, so I wasn't sure. Sarcastic but. things about everything, as far yeah. as yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, exactly. But that's a guy who studied Bragantino and and the and the teams in Germany and and Austria, and I mean he studied every single Red Bull team. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, he's a Red Bull. Well, also, oh yeah. There's one thing that he has an advantage with. Okay, and that is the philosophy of the organization. 
And he's going from a team that was very budget tight to a team that has no issues in spending money. Toronto has always been, or at least most recently, has been a team that is up there with the top teams in MLS and spending money. So if he sees a player that he wants or that he feels that is going to help the team, that's going to help him play the way he wants, there's a better chance of them getting it as opposed to Red Bull saying, I'm sorry, they actually want money for him. We're not doing that. Yeah, but in the other side of the same coin, Glenn, sorry, just in the same, on the other side of the same coin, he is moving from a team that sell three years in a row their captains and yeah. uh, to, a, to a team that has Josie Altidore and Bradley, Michael Bradley. <laughs> so how he's going to yeah. manage that? That's, that's totally different world. No, he's got to manage some things because he's got... Yep. Hey, by the way, both ex-Red Bull Metro Star players. Who's that? Yeah. Altidore and Bradley. And Bradley. Oh, okay. They well, started their careers in the Metro Star Red Bull system. Yeah, nothing, nothing to do with today's philosophy. To no, me, the, uh, well, I'm just the managing sorry. of the Altidore Akinola, uh, mm. are, you, are you pairing them up? Are you playing just one of them? You know, it reminds me of Ronnie Dyla. You're going to play Castellanos, you're going to play Eber. That's the way he looked at it, and he, he didn't play both of them at the same time except for a couple of times. You wonder if uh, how Armas will, will deal with that. Hey, I was well, the other thing I was going to ask you guys, do you think is it – I haven't seen much about what's happening with the Canadian teams this year in the event that they're in a similar situation. I mean, is it hard to get players in? Would it be hard to sign a player right now, any of these Canadian teams, a quality, real high quality player when those players aren't even sure if they're, you know, going to play in their stadium or, you know, just have a normal life or a somewhat normal life, more normal than the, the team's stateside. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there's actually players moving away from that. I mean, Maxi Ruti went to Houston yeah, from Montreal. Traded. And they got uh, Struna, Kiki Struna from. Kiki Struna, from, yeah. Yeah. But was that, but, but, but was a Rudy vocal about getting out of Canada? Is that what you uh, mean? No, but I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, yeah. that's, that, he was a big piece on that team. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. instead of building, you actually had to move pieces away. Any other new coaches? Yeah. Heinze. Huh? Heinze, El Gringo in oh, Atlanta. Right. But we spoke about... We, we spoke talked about, about him. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, spoke about uh, yeah. him. And Vanny in LA, obviously. Greg Vanny in LA, we spoke about that possibility too before. I, I really like that. I like that hire. I think he's going he's really going to help that whole organization philosophically. And uh, I sort of see him a little bit like, uh, why am I blanking on the name now? In um, Peter Vermees in Kansas City. I see him getting maybe not as involved as Peter Vermees is, which basically runs that. He can't. I, I see him can. a lot, doing a lot of that and influencing the organization that way in, in an organization that definitely needs it. Right? He's already because met with... used to have one of the great academies and things have fallen apart there a little bit and... Uh, or a lot, depending who you listen to. You, you see the, the the type of players that they brought in. They haven't been shy about spending money. They've just spent it horribly. And, uh, you know, for their sake, it looks like Chicharito is a little bit more focused this year than he seemed to be coming into last year. So we'll see if that uh, if he plays a lot better uh, this season and how he does under Vanny and how Vanny's able to manage him. Well, to reinforce what you're saying, he has already met with uh, – 
people in the grassroots portion of development in that area. So, I mean, he's like, he's diving into everything, just like you. Well, he's already there. Yeah. He's yeah, living so there he, now. So he, he is to whatever extent he can, he'll, he'll have, he'll be more hands-on. No question. Oh no. Yeah. He's the guy, but um, he cannot do half of what Peter Vermees is doing in Kansas, but for the solid reason that Peter Vermees has absolutely control of everything. Yeah, he's got total power. He's the and sporting yeah. director and he's the coach and he's the, general manager so right. but, what i was trying to say is that i see a lot of it it's not obviously the same thing but i see him getting himself into the organization and look you never know how he grows and how he does he may wind up being in that sort of position in a few years down the road because the guys who are on top of him you know uh, you know have a lot to make up for right? yeah i was not, i was unable to, i was unable to hop on it today but you guys get these uh these uh, club press releases, but Vermees did a uh, did a little bit of a thing today uh, on the pro pathway. You know, talking about their academy and 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 the, right. uh, if you want to go back, and I'm going to go back and listen see if it's uh, worthy of. Well, the, part of that uh, is in movie academy. pieces. Yeah, there's there's two guys there. I mean, uh, Felipe Gutierrez, the the Chilean, uh, they're still in negotiations with him. They expecting a, an answer from him. Uh, Vermees said that they already presented the the new uh, proposition, and they, you know, they waiting to hear from him. But the other one is Gerso. Uh, he said, it, you know, plain blank that he didn't accept the offer, and now it's it's up to him whatever he wants to do. There you go, from the guy who makes the offer. So, no question. Exactly, <clears throat> and and tell you what drills you have to do. <laughs> Which is, uh, listen, it's really important. I get that. I mean, I love that organization because it's very well structured and it's very coherent, cohesive, and, and the little kids from the academy dress, manage the locker room, and play as the first team. That's very important. That's very, very important. And you it see this. because the guy running it. Exactly. You can't, right, because you can't just give that to anybody and expect the same sort of results. I mean, he does it, he does it very, very well. And that's why, and that's why it works. I'm sure that there's a lot of guys who you would give that power to, and it would be a freaking mess. Yeah. And I mean, they re-signed Roger Espinosa, who by now is a legend on that club too. So, you know, I mean, he, he knows what he's doing, of course. And, and the results are the ones who like, like everybody in this, in this, uh, businesses, I mean, especially coaches, but in his case, being the general manager and the sporting director and the coach, every decision is buying him time. That's, that's the reality. <laughs> every, every result is giving him time. He's not buying trophies because there's not any assurance that you're going to get any trophy at the end of the season. Yeah. But what you're doing is buying time to work. And just a side note, he's a Jersey boy, just so I'd throw that in. <laughs> A big part of his success, of course. Well, hey, it all comes back to Jersey. Who else, why we, not? who else did we talk about today? I'll bring it back to Jersey every time, man. I right, try this one. So San Jose uh, was able to sign uh, a Mexican player. He, well, we've heard now that he doesn't like to be called that, although everybody freaking calls him that on radio and TV. His name is Javier Eduardo Lopez, but he's known as La Chofis in uh, Mexico. He came from Chivas. He had some falling out over there. 
So Chivas has loaned them to San Jose, and for some of the things that I've read, it looks like they're paying the freight. So they're paying like three quarters of his salary to get him out of town. So um, did he play for Almeida? Yes. Chivas is, yeah. And so according to, you know, people who cover the team and follow the team, uh, part of the, the issue he's had is that he's not been happy in Guadalajara. He hasn't been happy with the team, and they're not happy with him. And he was supposedly part of the problem is that he was like woefully out of shape. So uh, he's not the best guy in training, or at least that's what's happened in Guadalajara. So obviously, uh, Pelado Almeida feels that he can get through to him and that he's going to get him to be able to bear down and work hard in practice and play. But we'll see what, the, what happens wow. with that. That well, conversation okay. happened already. If you know Almeida... Ada, that conversation happened already. Oh, well, of course. It this happened. is the I last mean, chance for this kid. Right. This is the last chance for this kid. That's why he's being loaned to San Jose. So Almeida sat down with him and told him, you know me, if you're going to play with me, you're going to run as everybody else, and you need to be in shape, so start tomorrow. Right. That's it. That's yeah, it. Absolutely. And what is knows, it's the last chance because he was one of those players that was, you know, Mark... As, as one big star for Mexico that didn't pan out yet. And, and probably this is his last train. What does Chofi, what does Chofis mean? I have no bloody idea. <laughs> oh. I got no answer for that. No. And it's, uh, it's pretty nuts. I have no idea what that means. If anybody who's listening to the podcast, if you know, call, you know, let us know on Twitter or on the comments in a podcast. Let, let, let us know because we have no idea what La Chofis means. All right. But he doesn't like being... I don't know. There you go. But supposedly, he doesn't like to be called that. So we'll, we'll find out. We'll just call him Javier Eduardo Lopez. Maybe it means chubby. <laughs> <laughs> Any other coaches? Any other new coaches? Who else? It's worse. Listen, I just did a real quick search. All right. I'm going to get you out of that. It's even worse. So, <laughs> Let's go uh, some players, some some teammates of him in Guadalajara and Chivas think that he looks alike to the girlfriend of another player, Giovanni Casillas. The girl's name is Sofia. So okay. that's why he is Chuffies. Chuffies, <laughs> oh it's, it's, it's a pet name. So, so, so it's a pen name for Sophia. For Sophia. That makes oh, sense. Oh, okay. So how about, uh, are we out of coaches yet? Any other new ones? Uh, no? no, that was all. I mean, we got it. It was just four spots, yeah. Well, what about, uh, what else is new? Rebranding, Montreal, Chicago. Oh, I, Montreal, yeah. I, I wrote Chicago that. didn't rebrand. They did that last year. Montreal did, and so did Houston. I, I, they both, I, became, I, they both I, became FCs now. Yeah, Chicago is rebranding again. They put it back to yes. their supporters. They didn't like the logo, right? Oh, well, right. They're rebranding. It's only the logo. They're not rebranding. They will still right. be the Chicago Fire, or as they like to call themselves, Chicago Fire FC. But, yeah. you know, it's the Chicago Fire, and that's that. And uh, so they're redoing the logo, which they had already, when they revealed the logo, they had already said that they're going to redo the logo because everybody hated it. They panned it. It was awful. And so now they're redoing like it. That. And what they're trying to redo is that they're getting the fans engaged and they're going to let the fans try to 
uh, help design the logo this time as okay. opposed to imposing something on them. I mean, you know, go, go back to the old logo. It was fantastic. So let's do it again, and this time it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so what do you think of the Montreal logo? I like it, yeah, and I like the okay. Chicago one too. I did like. I think it. they're both Chicago. okay. Yeah, I yeah. called. I, I have a couple like the Chicago of, one at all. I think it's brutal. I, I, have I really a, think it's brutal. A couple of close coaching friends I have in Montreal. I said, "What? What's everybody thinking?" They, they, it's it's pretty well hated universally in Montreal. Nobody's gonna love those changes. So that's yeah. for sure. Uh, I, I hate the change of the name. You've taken something that was unique and local and for, for for all intents and purposes historic for as long as the team has been there and now you've turned them into something run-of-the-mill and common and boring because somehow they have this freaking fantasy about europe what is it about europe i mean for crying out loud this is north america we do things our We're, own way we france for anything. one thing Anybody else for crying out loud? Yeah, we should be in French club. No, we should be more influenced by Mexico. Let's call it ML MLXS. <laughs> just, be fair. just do what we've always done. Uh, I mean, now even uh, who cares? Tom's, uh, Tom's football cares? team is doing it. They're going to look like they're going to stick with Washington FT. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, we made the playoffs. I've called them FT now. That's my baptism for them. <laughs> Washington FT. It works. And John is going to hate me for this, but sorry, John. You can cover your ears if you'd like. Take your headshots out, whatever you want to do. Here, but, co uh, here it comes, John. NFL reference coming up. NBA. Tom's old oh, team. Oh, no. <laughs> Tom's old team. The Brooklyn Nets are now the team that is most involved with Major League Soccer. Because yeah. they had three owners mm -hmm. on part of the team. Because they yes. just got James Harden from Houston. And he's a, well, they actually he didn't come. Yeah, he came straight from Houston, right? So he's part of owner of the Dynamo. Yep. You have Kevin Durant, who's part owner of the Philadelphia Union. And their coach, Steve Nash, is part owner of Vancouver. the Vancouver Whitecaps. Mm -hmm. And so you have three MLS owners playing and coaching in Brooklyn. So the Brooklyn Nets have in their badge a soccer ball. Yeah, that's right. So they should warm up. Right? Brooklyn FC, baby. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Or CF. Let's go CF. Let's CF. go CF. Hey, John, you want to close on the draft? Well, yeah. Uh, not not too long because we recording, we taping this on the Wednesday night and the draft is tomorrow. Uh, but it's a, it's a very different you know, kind of draft. I mean, we are used to get the combine, which is three days or four days with games and every single uh, staff, technical staff of the clubs are on that city watching the players and watching those games. And it's very interesting. I mean, they interview the players, but this time it's, it's just, uh, it's going to be, of course, um, uh, virtual online, but it's not only the thing is that it's not only because we are in the middle of a pandemic, it's because uh, the draft is losing the track, is losing the importance. Of course, you're always going to find talent at the college level. But with the academies producing players in the, in the rates that are producing players, you know, getting players out of the college system with 22, 21, 23 years old is not, you know, that of a 
really good idea. I mean, somehow here and there you can find good players, uh, but as many coaches uh, has been saying the last two, three, four years, they rather give the opportunity to 17, 18, 19 year old kids that are coming from their academy that a 21 or 22 year old kid that is playing college, having in mind too that the college season is not that long. Ernst Tanner. Yeah, that's that's Philadelphia Union, and they for the past two years they sell their their spots. Yeah, they traded all their draft picks again for. Right. Um, but he uh, his and his thing is, uh, I interviewed him at the convention his first season, uh, his first draft with the Philadelphia, and he just he, he was very blunt, you know, and it's exactly yeah. what you just said. He goes, he goes, college players are too old. They're too old. Yeah, but Peter Burby said it too, you know. I mean, and and he's. We, again, we just spoke about how that organization is real, well-structured, and they have a path, and they have a, a philosophy that they develop, of course. I mean, they have Gianluca Buccio with 17 years old. They rather put him on the field than a right. 23-year-old kid that is coming from college. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, I, it was I a, think we I, see I in the last, the, uh, the, last, the last editions, the last the, um, years, so the Draft. The story with the Brian Strauss today, where he, he wrote a story about the uh, uh, Joe Biden's kind of relationship to soccer, how he you know he has supported it. Philadelphia Union, once again, you mentioned them, and he tells yeah. the story of how he ended up at the Philadelphia Union opener uh, in 2010. But he, uh, it, what what sticks? There's a few things that stick out, but Biden had them all back to the White House. Uh, and he started asking them, you know, what, what colleges they went to. And a lot of them hadn't gone to college. And he, they kind of explained to him, he goes, well, this is a sport where, you know, you kind of don't, you know, a lot of a lot of guys don't go to college. They go right into the pros. So um, playing right into what you're saying, that's that's the trend right now. Well, listen, every path, every story is different. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we have like our own guy in New York City FC who went to college, came from right from uh, London and, and, and now he's back playing the Premier League. So every path is different, but sure. it's really hard actually to get those. And, and it's, I understand and I love that of, of the American culture. I mean, having the opportunity to go to college, have a, you know, a, a degree and at the same time play the sport that you love is beautiful. That's awesome. But when you go to a professional sports, in our countries, if you're 17, 18, and you're not trained already with the professional team, you, you're behind. What about the story for DeMarcus Beasley that when he went to the White House with the U.S. men's national team, Joe Biden gave him a coin, okay? They gave him the coin. And then in 2014, Joe Biden was down in Brazil, and when the U.S. beat, uh, beat Ghana, he came into the locker room. And as he's walking around, DeMarcus Beasley came up to him and said, remember the coin? I still have it. And so Joe Biden said, I owe you a beer, which is what it is. If you have the, the coin, that's the way it, it's supposed to go. So uh, that, that's a great story. Uh, it's nice to have somebody in the White House who likes uh, not only sports, but especially soccer. So uh, that, that's going to be good. And I'm sure that everybody's lining up the U.S. the U.S. women's national team and uh, they you know. more than anybody Glenn yeah, they, 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 to they, remind us that yeah, like, they, they like he said that. about equal uh, pay yeah, yeah got equal pay. He's, he's the man 
He's but that man, coin, that coin yeah. story I thought was the most interesting. Yeah, what it was is that the coin, the significance of the coin is that if you're uh, Biden, I think the way he told it is that if you stick the coin in front of somebody who's your superior in the White House, they have to buy you a drink. So that's where he came up. That's why he said, I owe you, oh, you, are, you a drink. drink. Yeah. And in the military, it's different. So what happens in the military, so like if you're at a bar, okay, and you have coins, whoever takes out the coin, who is the highest, who they got from the highest ranking member of the army, he gets the free drinks. All right. And I got, the, and I got to know that from uh, several years of broadcasting army football. So, uh, and I, I got several coins too. So I, right. I could probably get uh, probably cash get some, in yet. Uh, drinks can here can you get drunk now? You can cash in yet? <laughs> I haven't cashed it in, but yeah, I could definitely do that. Yeah. So if I anybody's do that. anybody's listening that's interested in uh, Biden and soccer, that it was a it was a it was a really good uh, story from Brian <laughs> Strauss. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, oh, by the way, Trump's uh, son played soccer for DC United in their academy, Baron. So there's yeah. some soccer there. Yeah, good for him. Oh. <laughs> I can play in Miami's academy. I will not say a bad word about Barron in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely not. Well, I'm not saying not. I wasn't. No, I'm saying I wasn't good. Push, no, but I'm I wasn't just pushing that reaction here. He can't tell me who's fine. I just want people to know that he, it's not happy to play soccer. You can't choose your parents. I guess you well, could. You could get emancipate. Yeah, well, you could emancipate. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't your daughter spoken about that to you yet? <laughs> well, she just Glenn, she recouped to New Mexico. So Glenn, she, Glenn, <laughs> talking about parents and soccer, remind us who was in draft, who was drafted early on the women's side this year. The daughter of? Oh, gosh. Dennis Rodman. Holy smokes. Yes, sir. Right. Trinity Rodman. And apparently she's a pretty good player. I have. I've, she, I've never seen her she play. She is. I mean, I, I see in clips, not a full game. Yeah. She, she looks really good. And, and I don't. she on the national team? Yes. 17. Uh, you, yes. You're 17. So, so. she's 18. Yeah. yeah. And, so, I mean, and I love what she said. I mean, oh, I was. want okay. to be known as Trinity Rodman, not the daughter of Dennis Rodman. <laughs> which is accurate. Perfect. Which is I what love she it. Should say. Yes, she got picked. She got picked sec second overall. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. That's why I remember. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's bring this one to a close. Go around the room, Glenn Crooks. Where can people follow you? Listen to Sirius XM, whatever you're up to these days. And clearly, for those who have watched the clips Glenn's posted, he got a haircut. And I'm pretty sure there's still a quarantine in New Jersey. So it's, it's an Funny haircut. One haircut. Uh, man, I wanted you just to let it go. One haircut. Because of the because of the convention. That's why he got a haircut. Week. <laughs> and yeah. that's why he do it with the shows this weeks. Yeah, week. I had uh, all those recooking uh, the convention. <laughs> I had, so I had four interviews for the convention, and, they, and it's, I thought they were all pretty cool. Uh, John heard them all. Did, were they okay, John? Yeah, they were awesome. Pretty okay, good. Cool. Good job. Oh, so on um, for SiriusXMFC, I'm replaying some of them. So. Greg Burhalter was up last week. If you have the app, it's still on. And I and I really uh, I thought it was uh, it was good. He was very open. And then uh, playing tonight while we're recording this, right? It's on right now. But while we're recording this, it'll be repeated several times. 
Uh, I had uh, Tyler Adams, Jordan Morris, Crystal Dunn, and, and Kelly O'Hara on a little athletes panel, and they were very good. It was recorded before the women played Columbia. It was recorded before the men went into camp. It was recorded before Jordan Morris left camp and is probably signing with uh, Swansea or on loan to Swansea. Uh, and so, but it's still, I think it still came across pretty well. So that's what I got. That's it. All right. John Rojas. I'm still studying the convention. I'm still watching videos and people can follow me on jrojas875. That's on Twitter. Okay. And Roberto Abramowitz? You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Abramowitz. You can follow me on Facebook at Roberto Abramowitz Oficial. Don't do that now. Don't do that now. He's he's sending some all these God-blessed, insulting, crappy videos of the beach and pictures of the beach. Do you know how funny it was for me to watch you put your winter jacket on in your kitchen as we're doing this? And I'm sitting here in 82-degree weather in Acapulco. I've enjoyed a nice day at the pool. It was very nice. After watching the inauguration first, of course. That was the most uh, important part of the day. But, a little uh, tip, Roberto. You have four profiles in different social media platforms. You don't need to do exactly the same post in every one of them. And, Tom, if, I could, if you don't mind, I'd like the last word. And it's from uh, President Biden's inaugural speech today. We will not lead by the example of our power, but the power of our example. And that's the way we should lead here on Soccer in the City. Thank you. All right. Well, for Glenn, Roberto, and John, and President Biden, uh, I'm Tom Kolker. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Soccer in the City.